on the dating app. Uh, and again, we want our users to be comfortable. So you'll have the option if you want to FaceTime. So you can you can do that before meetup. No way. And now. I'm the captain now. Coming to you from the K2 studios in San Diego, California. This sounds great. You sound amazing. I always sound amazing. It's the world famous. Everybody sit off like BFS. Chris and Christine Show. Hey, what's happening? How are you doing today? Thank you so much for being here. And I am Chris. And I'm Christine. And welcome to episode 181 of the Chris and Christine Show. Do, 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 do. Fantastic, wonderful Sunday. The rain has left us dry. I love it. It has. And you know what is so interesting? I was looking at my Facebook memories yesterday and it was like episode 23, four years ago. And I was like, what in the world? I thought we'd only been podcasting for three years. We're at four and a half years now. We are like grizzled vets. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you think about it, like for in the NFL, aren't four, isn't four years like consider a whole career? Well, in the military, four years is an entire like Ooh. tour of duty. Well, the, we are doing a tour. I feel like every time I bring you onto the podcast, you feel like you are doing a tour of duty, right? Uh, yes. Of like duty or duty. Are we talking about D-U-T-Y or D-O-O-D-Y? Hey, tomato, tomato, baby. <laughs> I think it's both. But yeah, I was just looking back at that and I was thinking, wow, like four years ago, we were on episode 23. Here we are, episode 181. Who would have thought? Who well, you, thunk? Know, you know what? I would have thought that maybe we'd do maybe five episodes and stick around. Like, yeah, it was a fun little thing we did for a minute. But here we are, 181 episodes. Now, you know, I would have loved to been able to do a daily show. I know you would have loved one too, but although... <laughs> no, I wouldn't have. It is like nails on a chalkboard every week. Oh, Actually, on. this week, this week I was fine because, you know, I'd been traveling and all of that. And oh we yeah, have where, a, you, where you been? And we have a great guest that is coming on. But, you know, there's other times when you're just like, are we going to podcast this week? And I'm like, Chris, I literally have worked all three jobs this week. Plus, you know, parenting and all these other things. Can I just have a minute? And you're like, you never want a podcast. And you just. I don't sound like that. Oh, you literally do. I don't sound like that. You literally do. It's like nails on a chalkboard. And you're like, you never want a podcast. Da, 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 da. I don't understand. And I'm like, because it's work. You're like, it's not work. It's a hobby. It's fun. It is work. I'm having a fun work, blast. Work, work, I love work, being work, here. Work, work. It's a blast for exactly, me. Exactly, because you don't have to do any prep. All I have Wait to a do second. I do all the prep. No, you do the editing. I have to do all the prep. It's like, I, okay, you're saying that you're doing all the cooking and all the slicing and dicing of the prepping of the food, and I get judge the food and eat it. Do you know what you're saying? Yes. Okay. And do the dishes after. Oh, I can do dishes. You right. get to do the dishes, which is what, you know, podcast post-production is. It's I have to do all of the, like, presentation and putting everything together and measuring and making sure that everything's in the house to be able to cook the recipe and cook it. And people are like, when's it going to be done? All right, is it ever going to be done? What are we having for dinner? Literally, that is my life when it comes to podcasting. It's like the minute that I walk in the door. Are we going to podcast this weekend? I'm like, Chris. What's your dinner? I'm hungry. Feed exactly. me, mommy. Feed me. Exactly. It's <laughs> well, like you, know what, you but, always want a yeah. piece of me. 
Uh, well, everybody wants a piece of you, babe. You're, you're a hot commodity. You know that. I know, but there's just not enough pieces to go around. I'm sorry. Well, you know, you know, we'll do the bite-sized version. You know, do like the dollar menu. <laughs> Dollar menu of Christine. Oh, everybody gets just a but little bit of my were, time. You said you were traveling. You just got back into town last night. So where did you go? I was in Central California. I had to work up there midweek, and then I worked remotely from my regular job for a couple of days. And what else did I do? Oh, we had Ezekiel's birthday party. Bingo! There we go. Big Ezekiel. Big um, number nineteen. Nineteen years old. Wow, that's I crazy. Know. You know what's funny is that one more year he'll be twenty years old. That's crazy. I know he's already plotting his twenty-first birthday. Oh, where do you want to go? Oh no, he's. You forget that kids on the spectrum have an amazing memory for things, and if you promise them you're going to do something. They're going to hold you to it. But he was four years old and made the promise. No, it was like three years ago. You told him that for his 21st birthday, that you and I would take him to Vegas yeah. and you would teach him how to play roulette. Oh, I would. Yes. Okay, and I, you would I'm, buy I'm gonna, him a drink. I'm going to teach him how to play. Well, here's the thing. You get free drinks if you play roulette. Because you got to sit there. They'll bring by the drink waitress comes by. They say, what do you want? Anything? Cocktails, drinks? And you say, yes, I want whatever I want. And they bring it by, but they take forever because you know that you're playing. The thing about Vegas and all casinos is that they know the longer you sit there, the more you're going to spend gambling and the more you're going to lose. So that drink, which you think is free. And it actually costs you $750,000. Exactly, exactly. So, And then you have no home. <laughs> exactly. Deed your house on the, on the table. You're like, I'm betting it all. But uh, if Ezekiel wants to learn how to play roulette and he wants to you know, spend his money playing, I'll be happy to help well, out. Who said it's going to be his money? You said you're taking him. I'm taking him. That, that, and you're sponsoring the trip. What, this I, this I trip, this 21st birthday trip to Vegas is sponsored by Chris & Co. Chris, Chris & Co. <laughs> Chris & Co. That's my new company. Chris, yeah. Chris & Co's Pantos gambling. <laughs> yeah, Chris & Co's, Chris & Co's podcasting, uh, podcast adventures, excursions. I know. You can like totally podcast about it afterwards and then it's right off, right? Sure. Well, my whole thing's I right wonder off. if that ever happens. Like people go to Vegas and they gamble and drink and all of that. They document the whole trip for content and then it's a write-off. Uh, I bet you a lot of YouTubers probably do that kind of stuff. Uh, my mom watches all those YouTubers that do the gambling things and they do all of like the the cruise things and the cruise gambling on the cruises and all that stuff. I like to watch the content creators that are more into like Disney trips. Like I like to watch the ones that go to Disneyland every day and talk about all the fun Disney stuff. You know, what kind of content creators are you into? Well, you know, before we, I talk about that, like, let me think about this concept of content creators that go to Disney. They really are blogging their entire trip. So technically, it's a business expense. Oh, totally. Any, right? Yeah. If you think about it, almost so then everything if we be. take the kids to New York and we are podcasting while we're going to be in New York and meeting up with some others in our community. But if we blog the content and post it, does that then make it a business expense? We're going to need to ask our accountant so we get clear on this because I want to know how people do this. What if we could actually write off this whole podcast we're doing right now? What if this whole thing is a business expense? Well, but then you should be paying me so then you can claim my salary as a write-off. I, I am paying you in in Monopoly bucks. Uh. I can't take that to the bank. I want a Birkin bag. Um, well, Hermes. Do, do, do Birkin bags take Monopoly money? No, they don't. How about Disney bucks? 
I would take Disney bucks. I would take Disney gift cards. Do they still have Disney bucks? I am going to start charging you every week. Charging me? Yes, because then you can actually write off the expenses. I think that I should be a paid staff member of the K2 show. Okay, fine. I'll put you on the payroll. How much I you want? Put- How much you want? Let me jot it down here. How much you want here? Uh dollar, two dollars. What? Well, you said I was on the dollar menu, so thanks. Yeah, you're welcome. No, no I but, said pieces no, of you on the dollar menu. But really, I do wonder about this. So, like, podcasts, some people monetize their podcast, and then they get money for sponsorships and things like that. And then there's content creators that do, like, I don't know, Instagram and TikToks and things like that. So, how do they draw the line on what they can and can't write off? Well, I think as long as it's being used for the business or if it's an expense that's being used for the business. So let's take those Disney bloggers, for example. The tickets to Disney aren't free unless they're maybe getting paid sponsor through Disney to be there, which is the same thing as being paid. So, Or sometimes it's like a travel company, like AAA well, yeah, Travel yeah, is like sponsoring it. Yeah, so they pay for all the setup. They pay for your room, your expenses, your tickets, your whatever. You have to mention them like eight times during the video, I'm guessing. Right. And you probably say this episode is sponsored by such and such whatever. You know, they paid for this trip. That's another thing too I heard too. If you have a official sponsor on your show or a paid advertisement, you have to announce that this is a paid advertisement by so-and-so. Yeah, on Instagram even when I say, oh, you know, this partnership is with, you know, blah, blah, blah company, it'll ask me whether or not I need to put the um, paid partnership label on my reel. And I'm like, no, it's not a paid partnership. And So you physically are not getting paid by the company right. to, to do it. But You're if, doing it on your own. But they've even like flagged different words with the algorithm to be able to be like, is this branded content? Really? Yeah. But that I, happens a lot on YouTube too. Yeah. But I mean, I'm curious about this whole like writing things off. As we enter the tax season, mm-hmm. a lot of people right now are actually filing their taxes, getting everything ready to go for tax season. I, I think if you know you're going to for sure 100% be getting money back for tax season, you probably get a rush job on those taxes, get them done right away. That's money in the bank. Right. If you think you might owe money, you push that out to the very last day <laughs> or get an extension. Right. Well, this year for our tax purposes, we, I mean, in addition to filing as a married couple and then filing for Christine Smith Designs, we, this is the year that we, we formally, I was going to say initially, but the word is formally, uh, created Podtastic Audio as its own company as well. So how does that feel to be having to prepare taxes for the first time for your business? I think it's going to be easy peasy. As I say that now, you're going to be like, Chris, do you have this form? Uh, uh, what's that form do? Um, you know, Chris, you need this to file your taxes for a business. Um, can we just fill it and say yes? So basically, <laughs> I'm going to end up doing all of the work yet again no, for no, your no, taxes. Listen, I'll, I'll, listen, I'll have it all ready to go. All I need to know is how much I spend on stuff. And do I have to, Do I, okay, here's a serious question here. Do I have to like rate my hours or my hours of work? Do I have to put that in the equation? No. Oh, oh well, that's easy then. No, but you do have to have all of your expenses, all of the costs of like internet, the the square footage oh, of this room. I don't know how to figure that out. Oh, uh, just the square footage of this room. The square footage of this room, and then because I think what we'll be doing because I run my business out of the studio and I have my own Wi-Fi network, so that business square footage and um 
and internet will be calculated. And then we use um, the whole garage really for storage for my, my wedding stuff. Oh, don't forget your storage you have too. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm talking about for the house specifically. So for my business, it's the studio, the cooler, the garage, and the internet out there, plus my portion of the power and the water for out there. And then for you, it's our studio here in the downstairs and the house internet is what sustains this because right now you have podtastic audio going. You have um, you have the K2 show, which we do together. And then you also have your production services. So, I mean, you have all three of those going. I think it justifies um, that plus. So what we're going to have to do is put together all of your expenses of things that you've purchased to support the business this year. And that's the thing that takes time. So I'll have to like get your phone and dig through your Amazon carts and things like that. Well, I don't try to think what I actually purchased this year for the business. Was the roadcaster purchased this year? I thought it maybe, maybe it was. was I don't know. This don't, is why I don't remember either. <laughs> this is not good people. If well, you let I, me okay, just let well, I get a, let me get on my soapbox for a minute. All right. To all of our listeners out there, if you are a small business owner or even if you're not and you put your taxes together, Take the time to slow down and think through everything that's part of your taxes and create a little table in Excel to calculate everything because I am like very meticulous about what I put together for our taxes and how I do it. And it takes time, but I go through my bank statements, like I'll sit down over two or three nights and I go through every single transaction on my bank statements. Even if I have like the summary thing that tells me how much I've spent, I don't trust it. I go back to January and I go through every transaction and I have categories on an Excel spreadsheet and it's like um, client meals and meetings, um, gas, because I have to calculate my gas, like client gifts, giveaways, like all different categories on this Excel spreadsheet. And then I type in all of the values and then I summarize all of them. And I put that summary into a spreadsheet for my accountant and I keep all of the history of the transactions. I go through my Venbo, I go through Zelle to make sure I haven't missed any payments to anybody. And it's a legit process, isn't it, Chris? Oh, it definitely is. You have a lot of different moving parts, moving pieces that go into this whole tax season. Remember the good old days where you just had one form? It was just a W-2. And you said, how much do you make? How much did government take out? Here you go. It was like three lines. Right. And you sent it in. But don't forget, we also have the house to write off too. All the all the um, interest on that is a write-off. And it's um, a lot. It when is a you lot. Get to kid, be, don't forget kids too. Right. When you get to be an adult and you're owning property and owning a business, taxes can take a while. Yeah. But in the long run, if you do it correctly, you have everything marked out correctly. And if you worked, worked all the angles correctly, you can be just like Donald Trump and not owe anything. This is true. And that's the goal every year is to try and not be paying so much overage in taxes that you like get a refund. The idea is to break even. Yeah. yeah. So you want to set your, uh, your, your, what do you call it? Your withholdings. Uh, yeah. Withholdings on your pay stub correctly so that 
when you when it does come, like Christine says, end of the year, it should be a wash. You should right. not owe them. They should not owe you. It should be nothing. I tell it's really funny, like Instagram video where this girl's talking about taxes and she's she's playing the part of the um the the IRS and she's playing the per, part of herself and saying. The IRS say you owe us taxes. And she's like, why can't you tell me how much how much you owe? No, you have to figure it out yourself. But if you're wrong, we'll come after you. Why can't you tell me? You should know. No, you need to figure it out. Right. <laughs> so, but you already know. So why am I telling you? So it's it's a uh, song and dance. Yeah, definitely. Well, you know, it's been an interesting time of year just as we've been, you know, winding down from the previous year and gearing up for this new year. And uh, I've just been you know, thinking a lot about our business and our podcast and things like that. And I was listening to a podcast episode because there's these um, TikTok stars that I follow. They're a married couple. And I saw an announcement that they were being uh, becoming a guest on, it's called the Unplanned Podcast. And uh, it was one of those where it's a big time podcast. They get sponsorships and everything and they flew in to interview this couple that went from like 1 million to 9 million TikTok subscribers, followers this year. And their names are Kay and Tay Dudley. And I think they live in like Arkansas or something like that. But um, they went on this podcast because when you're on TikTok or Instagram, all you get to learn about these people are like one minute, two minute bite sized right, chunks. Right, You don't get to go deep. It's like, a little, it's like icing on the right, cake. Right, exactly. But on this episode, they went uh, like an hour and 10 minutes into their story. And it was literally just their story, like how they met, what they'd gone through before they met each other. They'd both been married previously. And I just found it very interesting. It got me thinking this morning, like on our podcast, we do little bite-sized chunks about ourselves, like interwoven in. But I think maybe next week we should do an episode where we, I mean, we we were guests before we were married on a podcast episode called the 10 Steps Further podcast where we shared our story. Oh, that's right. Yeah, we did. Right. Yeah. But we have never on this show actually gotten like deep and shared each of our journeys of what it took to be able to meet each other and like the process of blending. And I was thinking... You know, I, I didn't even talk to you about this. I was thinking maybe next week's episode, instead of having a guest, maybe we go deep and hey, you know we tell everybody our story. I, I love how Christine's pulling the curtain back here and showing everybody our behind the scenes uh, meeting here. <laughs> this is a live behind the scenes, how what goes on here in the K2 studios. So I'm down for whatever you're down for, babe. Yeah, because, you know, we've when we started off the podcast, we were trying to do hot topics. And then for a long time, we've been doing like, guest features. And I thought, you know what? We have some very loyal listeners that have been on our journey with us like for four and a half years. And we're this far in, they may still be wondering like, who are these people actually? Ooh, who are the mystery? Yeah. The mystery people like, on the show. At, like getting down to like the, the hard times that we've gone through to find each other and, you know, what our individual journeys were. And especially now that our kids are getting a little bit older and they're asking us questions about, you know, things that have happened in our past. They are? Well, you know, kind of. And I feel like we, for a long time, as we were doing this podcast, wouldn't say, like, wouldn't talk about our background a lot because we didn't want the kids to know about. Well, now I'm curious. What happened? 
Well, like previous relationships and things like that. Um, But our kids are getting older and I think that, you know. So how about we have our ex-girlfriends or our boyfriends on the show? You're saying like as guests? Not talking about ex-girlfriends and boyfriends. I'm talking about ex-spouses. Oh. And not having them on the show, (laughs) but at least us being able to like share for real. I I feel like sometimes we just allow our listeners to hear like a certain part of our story. Most people do. Right. But as I was listening to this episode of the unplanned podcast, just um, yesterday made me think about like, okay, well I would rather be like authentic and let people know the real us and what it's taken to get here versus bite size candy bar versions of Chris and Christine. Well, yeah, the bite-sized candy bar versions are like the little fun fun packs they throw in Halloween bags, you know? Right. It's exactly what it is. It's for kids. It's for quick little bites. It's There's no substance to it. It's just a little like, you know, basically everything you see on TikTok or Instagram, I was kind of thinking about this, all those little like quick little reels or quick little, you know, really chopped up quick little quick cut videos they do on there for like the five to a minute, you know, seconds long, whatever. Uh, those are designed really to kind of get you enticed to kind of get come back, come in for more. Right. But, but it's really like, hard. It's really hard to get someone to go from there to a, a full on hour podcast. Right. But I feel like the listeners that are tuning into this show that have been with us for four plus years, they have earned the right to hear our story. They've been following along with us. Oh, and you've heard it here first. Coming up next. I know. From Christine. And it, it got me thinking about our guest for this week when he was talking a bit about the dating process and finding the right person to be able to connect with and how, you know, so much of our, our online dating is, you know, swipe left, swipe right culture versus finding things that you have in common and that make you compatible to go deeper with a person to really find out earlier on whether or not it's something you want to invest in. And this whole new technologies out there with this whole AI everything. I mean, everything's got AI in this days. You know, your phone's got AI, your toaster's got AI, AI, your uh, car's got AI. You know what else got AI? Maybe your maybe your love's got AI? I don't know. We're going to find out after this. We have a fantastic guest. Stay tuned. He's coming up next. Are you in the middle of wedding planning and feeling overwhelmed? There's no need to fret, my friend. Christine Smith Designs is here to rescue you. Offering wedding planning, coordination, and wedding floral design services, let us help relieve your stress and make your wedding day dreams a reality. Visit us at christinesmithdesigns.com. That's K-R-I-S-T-I-N-E smithdesigns.com and request a free consultation. You'll be so glad you did. And welcome back to the show. Today, we have another fantastic VIP guest. He is an entrepreneur and innovator. Welcome to the show, Eric McHugh. Well, thank you so much, Chris and Christine. First off, I, I love this show name and I'm really excited to be here. So I'm grateful that you guys had me. Well, thanks, Eric. Thanks for showing up today, man. Where in the uh, world did you travel from? So I'm very fortunate. And I live in Los, uh, beautiful Southern California, so it's always sunny. The weather's nice. People are nice. Not today. <laughs> well, I don't know about in L.A. Down here in San Diego, uh, as we like to refer to it, San Diego, it's the opposite of sunny. It's very rainy and drizzly. Is it clear skies for you? Yeah, it's pretty clear. It was rainy for the past couple of days, so I think we can take the... 10 days of rain, we get on the chin and not complain too much. I, I <laughs> yeah. think the storm actually moved south. It came yeah. through you and it came down to us. I keep hearing the like, 
all the LA news stations, at least on social media, were saying like, oh my gosh, you get another like dumping of rain this weekend. And um, Stormageddon. Stormageddon, <laughs> yeah. yeah, for like four days. Yeah. yeah. We were talking with somebody recently from Seattle. And we were like, oh, it's so rainy. And they're like, don't even, don't even get started with us. There's no comparison. Well, um, so happy to have you joining us here from uh, our neck of the woods in Southern California. Are you a native Californian? Yeah, born and raised in Redondo Beach, California. Oh, I love Redondo Beach. My aunt and uncle live there. I grew up like spending spring breaks and some summer vacations and they live um, like just like Avenue B area. So it was like just over that huge hill that takes you right down to the beach. And I remember having to walk that hill. It was so horrible, but beautiful area. Agreed. And yet, honestly, that's a great place to spend summer break just within walking distance from the beach. It's hard to beat. Absolutely. Well, we're excited to chat with you and learn more about you today. Um, we've been studying up on you and your background and uh, gosh, you're quite accomplished to be such a young person. What inspires you? Uh, so overall, my goal is to spread as much positivity in the world as I can. And both companies kind of allow me to do that. So I just do that while following my genuine intellectual curiosity. And here we are. Yeah. So you said both companies. Now I was reading up on you and I see that you're like a president of one company, but sounds like you are associated with more than one. Can you tell us a little bit about your background? Sure, sure. So my name's Eric, 30 years old, blessed to be living in beautiful Southern California. My main hobbies right now are chess, reading, Muay Thai, anything under the sun and meditation. I just got back from a 10-day meditation retreat in Joshua Tree, California. It was a beautiful, transformative experience. I highly recommend anyone check it out. In terms of school, I went to UCI and interned in Barcelona, Barcelona as a project manager and in DC as a government affairs consultant, which is pretty funny because of those two opposite cultures. Like in Barcelona, I'd show up to the office like 1030. I'd be the first one there. I'd wear sandals. In DC, I'd show up at around like eight, fully suited, taking the train. So completely opposite culture environments. My first job out of college was at Snap Inc. helping craft their ad algorithm. And the two main reasons I chose that was A, the location. So Snap's campus was on Venice Beach. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. And they didn't buy, like, they didn't have one big building. So they bought a bunch of different houses and properties on the boardwalk and, like, slightly inland. So you'd walk around different houses, working with different groups of people, which I thought was great at learning experience. And the second reason is because it was right before their IPO. So I want to see what, what that was like. After that, um, I was like, okay, probably should get a real nine to five job. And I became a bankruptcy consultant for Fortune 500 companies going through the bankruptcy process. Again, um, learning wasn't my calling, but it was a great learning experience. What is that even like being, you know, working through a company that's, especially a massive company that's being, going through bank- bankruptcy? Is that when they're trying to figure out what, uh, areas to cut costs or what areas do they kind of have to like figure out what's going to be surviving or how do they rebudget? What do, what do you, how do you help them out? So it really depends on where they're at the company. So we're, we're a consulting firm. So different brands will reach out at different stages. So some would reach out at the earlier stages where they like before they start the bankruptcy processing, Oh, what should we do? Should we do bankruptcy? How do we cut? And then of course we offer guidance there, but the majority of companies we work with, had already declared bankruptcy. They're already in the middle of that process. 
And to, to simplify, it's really just when a company goes bankrupt, like a major Fortune 500 company, they have a ton of debt they have to move around mm-hmm. to their appropriate creditors. So that's the main role of the consultants, the lawyers, and the bankruptcy court at that point in time. Yeah, because Chris and I were, just before Christmas time, seeing these different companies that were saying they were going to declare bankruptcy. And um, one of them, I think it was just after summer, was Home Goods, and I was like, "Let's go right now to Home Goods and see what kind of good deals we could get." And then they're still open. We haven't heard anything else about it, so we have this theory that maybe some some stores or companies will say they're going to declare bankruptcy to try and increase their sales. Is that a real thing? I mean, honestly, companies can do anything like that, but with the bankruptcy process. Because law is involved, and I'm not a lawyer, so don't take anything I say as legal advice. Right. But it's a long, arduous process. Like, for example, some of the major clients, it was like three, four years. And during that time, these stores would still be running, still trying to earn revenue. They, and the money they would earn would add to the pool of money, which would be divided up amongst other people. So I wouldn't, it's probably not a marketing tactic if they are actually declaring bankruptcy, just because that's an extensive, very expensive process. Okay. I, I could see people saying going out of business. Like I've seen like uh like you know, those like electronic shops. It's like going out of business for the past forty years. Right. Yeah. So like <laughs> and then hey, it works because we're talking about it now. Yeah. Well what, what do you think of the common factors that you've seen for a big company? The sometimes you know, people always say like, Oh, that company's too big to fail. They're just so massive. But what do you see as are common threads that would really cripple a company and make them go go file a bankruptcy? So really um I can take that in two parts. So there are two different, two main companies going bankrupt. The first is like the startup who's gaining a lot of traction. They're trying to expand as, as quickly as possible. The main reason they fail is, for example, like in a startup, let's say you start your clothing line, you get funded, you're doing well, you're getting sales and all that stuff. You raise an initial round, which means VCs give you money for equity. And then you you use that money to expand and grow massively and all that stuff. And then when it comes down to do the next round, the VCs bail and you just because they don't like your numbers or anything like that. So that's one big reason companies go bankrupt. And the other company is other, I'd say the other reason is just poor management of money and just like too many properties, too many, too many liabilities versus the money they, they get, which is a really simple answer, but it's, yeah, it's common. It makes a lot of sense. So and I know they didn't declare bankruptcy, but when you see a company like, Peloton, who in the midst of the pandemic had this huge growth trajectory because people couldn't go out to gyms and they couldn't socialize and everybody was like wanting to, you know, get fit and they're hiring all these people and expanding so rapidly, but not having a plan of what was going to happen when the world went back to being able to get outdoors and all of a sudden they're laying these people off like in mass and you know, those I think sometimes are those warning signs of if we don't pivot, if we don't do something right now, the whole ship is going down. Yeah, no, you're, you're exactly right. And honestly, a lot of times can just be drum up to just lack of foresight. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, we, they, see the, they see the chance to make quick money now and it may not be the best, best long term. Like, for example, the Peloton example, it did make sense to expand temporarily for like a year and a half to try to boost those sales and earn more money, get more customers. But like you said, as soon as everything went back to normal, they're just like, oh, okay, you still have to pay all these people. 
Right. Well, it's like a gym membership this time of year, you know. If you go to any gym in January, yeah, or first of the year, it's crazy busy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Come, come February, you know. Yeah. And, and if a gym was to just look at their February numbers, then be like, or January numbers, and be like, we're going to build 100 new gyms, but not see like, oh, it's going to trickle off. Like, maybe we should wait a couple of months. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense, foresight, as you were saying. So what is your educational background that really set you up for success with this? You said you went to UCI. Uh, what was your major? So to be honest, um, I would say what set me, up, set me up for success came after my college education. The forums were just like uh, shadowing people and just reading pretty much everything I could get my hands on. But UCI set a really good base of just um, got, got my foot on the door. So my majors were psychology and business business, man, business management. Wow. Oh, nice. nice. Yeah. Now, we were reading up on you just a little bit more, and um, you're smarty pants over there, Eric. IQ of 140. Is that good? I just asked Christine. <laughs> I don't know. I told him. I was like, that's really good. I thought I had IQ of 200. Yeah, you're funny. <laughs> so living life, having a very high IQ, and navigating the world, uh, do you feel that it was challenging for you to fit in when you were constantly thinking of new ideas and new innovations? Uh, I mean, I, I want to just like you point just because I like, I, we had to take a test like a past VC incubator, which is why it was listed. But I don't think IQ is the most important number. I honestly think emotional, the emotional version of that, like how much you can empathize with people is just a much better metric for success. But that being said, no, I, I don't really have a problem uh, getting along with people. I have plenty of friends. I always played sports. So it's it's a weird combo because I think I have slight ADHD paired with that. So in terms of schooling, there was some issues because I would just get bored and not really just, I just wouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Other than that, that, that was the biggest, I guess, issue that came with it. But even then, like, it, it's it's a good thing to have. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I always wonder that for individuals that have high IQ, like, is it because you, it's not just about book smarts. It's about the way that your brain thinks strategically and processes information that you can move through content in a much quicker way. And so um, you're constantly like pushing yourself to do more. So that leads me to wonder about these companies that you're leading now. Yeah. And, um, yeah, no, you're right. I, I would say that's a big advantage is just like the ability to just consume. And I would say the biggest advantage is a, you can consume content in a much quicker rate. Like I, I can speed read, which is honestly just a life hack where I can just read like five times faster than everyone. And then from there, the name of the game is pattern recognition and ignoring stuff that doesn't serve you. But right now I'm working on two companies and my logic for business is I think I think everyone's happiest when they're serving people. And I think everyone was blessed by either God or the universe or whatever you want to call it with very specific gifts. So the best way to serve humanity as a whole is to be authentic self and use your specific gifts to serve everyone. So in that logic, I'm working with two different companies and I just follow my intellectual curiosity and wherever that takes me, it takes me. So the first company is ShopX. ShopX, huh? Yeah, yeah. So that's a web, it's a web 2.5 platform and it's my logic or my why behind that is I would, my overall goal is to live a nice peaceful life. I found that difficult to do if I view the money system as corrupt, 
which is what led me to cryptocurrency in general, like Bitcoin and all that stuff. And ShopX is a way for me to onboard people into that ecosystem voluntarily at scale. So like imagine ShopX is a, it's a platform for like a Web2 brand to enter the Web2 space and gain benefits. So like, let's say we work like a company like Nike, they use our products and services, they launch a Web3 product for their customers. And obviously Nike has a million customers, a million people purchase that product because they want to. That's another million people into the space of cryptocurrency and whether they want to learn more, they can. So when you think of ShopX, I want you to think of the Google or Apple Web3. Long term, we're going to be a suite of products for a brand to download an app and enter Web3. Right now, we have two products live. The first is ReserveX. That's a NFT-powered loyalty program. So if you're a brand, you're on Shopify or WooCommerce, and for your listeners, there are four major e-commerce platforms. Like if you wanted to start an online store, you'd probably use Shopify, WooCommerce, Salesforce, Commerce, and BigCommerce. Right. So we're live on Shopify and WooCommerce. If you wanted to launch an NFT collection with e-commerce benefits, all you have to do is download the ShopX app, and we can get you started. So let's say hypothetically, Nike wants to launch a, like a gold, silver, bronze style uh, loyalty pass collection. They could launch that gold pass and then they could program in different e-commerce benefits to each pass. So for example, the gold pass could get a free product A, early access to product B, a discount on product C, access to in real life event for their gold members. And the silver pass could get like half off specific products. So it's just a way to create... um create a relationship between you and the customer. And and that's all in the cryptocurrency arena or is that using like traditional US dollars or whatever the commerce is, currency is? So it's it's in traditional. So right now, um, I want you to think of us, we're an additional Web3 revenue stream for brands. So we don't mess with the purchase process or anything with the brands, but if the brands want to launch a NFT collection for their customers to enhance their customer experience, that's what we do. And we do take, like as a customer, let's say Nike does launch that gold pass. If you wanted to purchase in cryptocurrency, you could. But you could also just purchase with your credit card just because we understand we have to make it as easy as possible for all their customers. So Chris is sitting here, Eric, and he's, he's uh, what is the word? Like mouthing to me, what's NFT? So can you break down Not for... for- Tiffany. No. Can you break down? I know what it is. I don't know what the acronym stands for, but I know what it is. So can you describe to Chris what NFT stands for and what it is? And for our listeners who may be wondering and being like, whoa, this is all going over my head. Yeah. And uh, I'll do that. Definition. I'll throw in web one, web two, web three, just because I think that's pretty important as well. Perfect. Web one, yeah. web two. Something Spider-Man used to do, I think. He had web <laughs> yeah. one and then web three was like when he made a hammock out of his website. All right, goofball. Let the man speak. Yeah. So NFT just stands for non-fungible token. It's just digital scarcity on the internet. And it's a core tenant of web three. So it's part of the reason that web three is able to exist. So in terms of web one versus web two versus web three, Web 1, I want you to think of read-only. So if we're on Web 1, you see content on the internet, someone puts it out there, we just kind of read it. Web 2 is, think of just like Instagram, Facebook, or any social media app. So it's read and write. So on Web 2, I could re- I could write content like I could do an Instagram post, and you could read my content, and you can interact with the content. Does video get involved with Web Web 2? Is that what it needs? Web 2 to do that, or is it Web, web 3 to do that? Uh, video is Web 2. or It's both, but it'll... What we're talking about is um, Web 2. Like, for example, YouTube videos and all that stuff would still be on Web 2. 
Okay. Okay. The issue with Web2 is you don't own the content. So for example, let's say we put this on YouTube or you post that Instagram post. Instagram owns that post. YouTube owns the post. They can cancel you whenever they want. Oh, and yeah. they, they make money off. Yeah, they make money off your data. So they're the ones in control. Web3 is read, write, and own. So we can read content. We can write content. But the only difference is we can own the content through technology like cryptocurrency and NFTs. So for example, let's say I were to launch an NFT collection. It's like a picture or whatever. You guys purchase that NFT because you want the value that comes with that NFT. That's your NFT. I can't take it from you. I can't be like, okay, never mind, Chris and Christine, we're over. And then retract it like you. They can like with like Amazon or all that stuff. Or they or like YouTube can't come in and cancel that NFT. So it's just yours forever. Where does it live at? Then a server somewhere or what? Uh, so it lives on I wouldn't say like it lives on the blockchain, but that's the easiest way to think about it. So with your NFT, um with when you set up a cryptocurrency wallet. You basically have private keys, which you don't share with anyone, and you have access to that NFT through those private keys. So, for example, let's say I have my private keys, I have my Bitcoin. Those those private keys give me authority to move around the Bitcoin wherever I want. And if someone else were to take those private keys, then they can get access to the Bitcoin. That's amazing. So, well, how do you protect theft of your keys? Um, that's where that's where Web three has to get better. But it's also mm. part of the user, like part of the ethos of crypto is accountability, meaning not your keys, not your coin. So the advantages of cryptocurrency is like, for example, like in Canada, you remember when they like, like canceled all those truckers' money? That can't happen in cryptocurrency. But on the flip side, if that if you lose your keys, then you lose your like it, it's your responsibility to keep it. Dude, it's like I'm always losing my keys. I don't know where I left them last. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, me too. Digital keys would be like the bane of his existence. Well, I know that the thing I always have a problem with, and my parents have a problem with this too, is trying to remember passwords. So, like, they write passwords down, or I try to keep a note of them somewhere and things like that. But if you now with, with your crypto keys, is the, the password, I'm assuming, does it always change or is it locked in, or how does that work? Uh, so the password is your private key, so it's it's locked in for life. And you can do things like you can split up your wallets, meaning you could have like I could have cryptocurrency on one, um, I could have like one Bitcoin. Now we need four different keys to access it, so you could add a layer of security there. You can have a third parties be in control of your um, cryptocurrency, and they could take care of it for you, just like the normal bank system. But that also doesn't really align with the ethos. But again, it's up to you as the user. Now, would somebody? I mean, I'm I'm not. A- I'm fascinated about cryptocurrency. I don't have any, but I was kind of curious. Is there, if you have cryptocurrency, is it kind of a way to skirt around paying taxes? Uh, I mean, I would say yes and no. I mean, it's always going to come back to bite you because the thing about cryptocurrency is just one public ledger. So every transaction you do happen is is seen. So I wouldn't say, I, if I were trying to skirt, if I were trying to skirt taxes, which I'm not, but the... A public ledger isn't the way I want to do that. That makes sense. You know, it's interesting as we're talking about this. I was at so random. I was at um, I don't know if it was like a Seven Eleven or an Arco gas station just the other day, and I was walking by the ATM that they have there. You know, like gas stations tend to have like those. Um, personally owned ATMs or whatever that have fees associated with them. But I just looked over as I was in line and this specific ATM had a message on it and it was like in alignment with XYZ um, uh, 
law about anti-terrorism, we are recording each individual's identity as it relates to withdrawal of funds associated with cryptocurrency. And I was like, I didn't even think about how people may be leveraging cryptocurrency to get around like moving money between entities that it could be like sweeping under the rug, like terrorism and things like that. Is that a real thing that people are using Bitcoin or cryptocurrency to fund illicit activities or is that a far-fetched idea? No, I mean, people are definitely using Bitcoin to fund some illicit activities, but the ratio of using Bit, like the percentage of Bitcoin being used to fund illicit activities is much less than the dollar. Plus, going back to the transparency public ledger thing, they always generally get caught. Like if, I, if you were trying to fund terrorism or any activity, would you fund them with something that can always be traced back to you? Oh, no way. Yeah. No, you're paying gold bars as I've seen them do it. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Now that you've explained NFTs, uh, Web One, Two, and Three, let's go to Shop X again. So, you explained it, but is this like related to e-commerce specifically? Like, are you helping small business owners or large businesses? What's your niche? So right now, our technology is for everyone. So we do have small business owners, like we have the startups with zero revenue. We also have some major clients like Fox Studios and new show, Capopolis. And we also have mid-sized brands. So the cool thing about our technology is it's, it's a new technology. So however brands want to use that, they'll use it to their advantage. And they're still figuring it out. I mean, like in four to five years, like brand A may use it this way, brand B may use it this way. I would, But to answer your question, I would say our specific niche are... Like if we, had, if we had to pick one right now, it'd be hype, hypeware or brands with botting problems or brands wanting to build a community or increase their customer lifetime value. Very interesting. How did you even think of getting into that space considering that you were interning in Barcelona, you worked in DC, and then you were a bankruptcy consultant? It just seems like this far pivot for you or was this an area you were, you were always passionate about? Uh, so I've always been a golden silver for a while, but um, during the time as a bankruptcy consultant, that's when I was really researching Bitcoin specifically. Like I had my group of friends, we send each other texts, we'd send each other articles to read, podcasts, and all that stuff. And it didn't really a lot of the non-rent-seeking behavior of cryptocurrency didn't exactly align with the ethos of cryptocurrency. Like for example, the bankruptcy firm, like while they were, obviously it was a great firm, like everyone's really smart, you learn a lot. But I felt that there was a systematic issue, meaning like, the way a consulting firm works is a consultants do like billable hour work, then they brand itself with the client and gets a bill and they just pay everyone. So in as a bankruptcy consultant, we're doing billable hour work billable hours of work to a company that's likely going through the bankruptcy process. So they the company going through the bankruptcy process has a set amount of money that they're supposed to pay to the creditors, like the mom and pops and everything. And when in bankruptcy, there's there's it's a tiered system, unfortunately. I mean, like there's tier one, tier two, tier three, tier four, not those names, but tier one gets paid out completely first, then tier two, then tier three, then tier four. And I'm sure you can assume that pretty much like all the normal people like me or you would be in tier four and tier four often gets pennies from the dollar. So as a consultant, billing that out every time we would bill out hours, it was taking from, I felt those people. So I just kind of waited until I got my bonus. 
and then I, I knew I was going to work in cryptocurrency. So I met the original ShopX team by just going to local cryptocurrency meetups in our local area. Yeah. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. And it's definitely, as I was listening to you and thinking about watching those large companies go through bankruptcy and then seeing like, gosh, I don't want to be in this forever. Like I want to, I want to move into a different, a different space that I think I would be doing the same thing, but you have another project you've been working on that Chris and I, I was, well, I was on TikTok and I was like watching some of your TikToks about it. Oh, what, what, what do you think of the TikToks? Oh, they were great. So this is with AI powered matchmaking. Oh yeah. The robots are coming over to take over. <laughs> yeah. So can you pronounce the name of the company for us or the app for us? Yes. It's dating, D-A-T-A-I-N-G.io. Okay, got it, got it. Because I was like, is it data-ing? I thought maybe you spelled it. I'm like, do you spell dating? I don't- <laughs> uh, but I was watching on TikTok where it's like, um, I'm your AI-powered matchmaker. And so Chris and I, we had this conversation because uh, I don't think that we've shared this part of our story. So we met through online dating. But Chris, how long were you online dating for? Oh, a while back and forth, you know, you know, back in my heyday, you know. Okay, <laughs> like give us a timeline. Like Oh, timeline. It wasn't like a month or two. Oh no. I had yes. like I had like the account going for a while and there was I What's was a while? Going, Come on, we need like, specifics. I think you here. buy them in blocks. It was like three month block or six month block. So think, if you were a Nike team, like you'd be gold level status oh, pretty much, member, whatever. right? <laughs> yeah. So I buy them in blocks. And then of course, when I go cancel that block, they'd say, Hey, come on in. We'll, we'll throw you another six months for a penny or whatever. I'm like, okay, right. sure. Why not? So I would keep going. I think it probably a couple of years, maybe, you know, of doing that. Yeah. And, yes. and, and, and before I met Christine, I was going to say, I'm done. I'm not doing it no more. I'm getting rid of this. This is it. And right before I pulled the plug, Christine came. The robots hooked me up. And there <laughs> the she robots. Is. Okay. So my part of the story is I had been online dating and I was like, the first thing you get onto these apps and you're like fresh meat, you know, your inbox gets- Especially, especially a girl, I would say. Yeah, yeah. Your inbox gets loaded full of, and all these messages are, hey, hi, what's up? Something hey, you can easily copy and paste exactly. for all of them. It's what like, it what's up, beautiful? Or- you have great eyes or whatever. And it's like, I'm not going to respond to these. Like, they're not even worth my time. What was my message? What'd I say? Well, hold on. I'll get there. So then there's the ones that come into your feed and I'm like, okay, well, I would like to reach out and have a conversation with this person. And then they don't respond to you. And it's like, well, they're showing up as in, you know, whatever this algorithm is in this dating app that we may be compatible, but now they're not even responding because- who knows if they have a paid profile and can actually access their inbox or whatever. So I went through a couple of cycles of being on online dating, being off of online dating. And I took this extended break and then I came back and like days later, Chris was in my feed and he had checked out my profile. And after like four times of him hitting up my profile and looking at it, I finally made the first move. But all of that to say- It took a lot of weeding through and all of these different people getting into my, my inbox and things like that. And I just wonder, like, was there a smarter way to do it? So why don't you tell us about dating and and your approach? Yeah, no, there is a hundred percent a smarter way to do that. And I'm glad you guys shared that story because it actually gets with one of the bigger issues I see with online dating. So the biggest issue with online dating, for example, right now is, and 
to go by trip. Like, there's a bunch of bots too, but that's right. neither that's neither here nor there. I got catfished for there, sure. There are bots on all social media. Yeah. It's everywhere. Yeah. So the issue with the I would say the biggest issue right now with online dating is five percent of the users get access. The, the top five percent, I would say, get access to all the users on the app. And that's all based on physicality versus actual genuine connection. So even if you do match on Tinder, and I'm glad you guys matched, but it's just unlikely to go anywhere. And the second issue is the incentives of the company, and which is why your example is so powerful. They make their money through something called churn marketing, meaning they get a paid user that when they get you keep coming back to that, which is why so many people like, they'll download Hinge, they'll delete Hinge, they'll download Hinge again, they'll delete Hinge again, they'll download it again. So they'll just go through that cycle. And if if on the off chance they do make a match happen and those couple that couple gets off the app, they actually lose a paying customer. So it's not in line with the bottom line to match people. It's in line just to keep people coming onto the app. Yeah. Make, it makes sense. It's like it's like anything. It's like I think of like a casino. Like a casino, yeah, people so and so would want a jackpot, but the casino wants you there to keep playing. And because it's actually like when you lose more, you play more because you have the hope that maybe Well, it's the same thing with dating, yeah. Right, yeah. Yeah. So what what dating solution is is we want to put our users in so our goal is to connect to billion happy couples. And we want to put our users in the best position they can be to succeed. So we launched February 14th. And what it's going to do is if you want to join the dating platform, you would join on our website, you link your social media accounts, and then from there, it would auto-generate a dating profile for you based on your digital footprint. And then it'll match you with people, other, other potential matches within the d- database with similar digital footprints. So for example, I could link my stuff, I create my Eric profile, I get shown three matches a day, so users don't just get bombarded with matches. Like, because I've seen even my personal galleries, like, but I've seen some of my attractive like girlfriends where there's they show me their Tinder account. And it's like honestly like thousands. So we we want to show like around three matches per day. So let's say I show Eric, it's like it's my day. I see Ashley, Kimberly, Jane. There's a brief bio on Ashley, Kimberly, Jane. I'm like, okay, I like Jane. I like that she went to a four university. I like that she's the oldest of her family. I like that she has a, a small Instagram. I like that, she, that she's in talent doors. Let's say, hey, Cupid, can you tell me more about Jane? Cupid tells me more about Jane. And then it can suggest stuff like saying, hey, did you know that you guys have the one, like this one R&B artist? You both listened to him like 25% of your Spotify listens. Oh, did you know that he has a concert coming up and he's halfway through? Would you want me to suggest, suggest this date to Jane? And then it could. So the reason I think this is cool is because let's say that didn't come up. We're matched on the, theoretically, we're matched on the back end. So even if we do meet up in person, there's, there should be more in common than just like a random person. Like if that, if that RB artist didn't come up, it's still there in the back and then we get to discover that. Or maybe it doesn't tell us that we're both really into national parks and we just go there a lot, but it would match based on that. So it puts the user in the position to succeed. Because like obviously for dating, you still have to go out and be a pleasant person to date. But we put we want right. we want to we want you to like be there. And so so Eric, how, how do you okay on the inboard intake process, I'm assuming that you must go in depth. I know I've heard eHarmony is like one of the most in-depth intake processes they have for each new um client. I know Match they ask some things too, but um, is yours pretty, cause you said mentioned music taste. I don't even know if other, like, I don't think even match even had that on there as an option. So you must have like a real, like lengthy a process or do you use like AI to figure that out? 
Yeah, yeah, no, the process is actually super simple and it's much more in depth than any other dating site because we already, we're just like we have social media accounts. So you would just create a profile, put in your number, put in your name, and then your profile is connected to your number. So whenever you want to log in, you just go through your number. And then the intake process is just linking like your social, like and linking your Instagram, linking your Facebook, linking your Spotify, and whatever so whatever social media accounts you want. And then from there, the profile is already made. So like in Match.com, let's say they're asking about music, you could they could say whatever they want. Like they ask you like five questions, whatever. But we'll base our matches based on your entire like Spotify history. Okay, big question that I have, Eric, is whether or not finding things that people have in common is a good indicator of them potentially being a good dating match. And let me tell you why before you answer. Because I look at Chris and I, and if you were to just look at us through the lens of what we had in common, the only thing that we had in common really is that we had both been raised in the same faith as children and and young adults. We were divorced and we had children in from our previous marriage, but literally that's it. Like his interests were completely 180 degree difference and still are from me. So I'm thinking like, would your app even suggest him as a match for me? Yeah. No, and I'm glad you answered the question. I think everyone is their own beautiful individual self and everyone's interest in a potential match completely differs. Like for example, I could want someone the same you could want someone the opposite, someone could want someone in the middle. So the cool thing about our app is the longer you're on the app, the more matches you reject, the smarter the match the matchmaker gets, and it's more likely to put you in front of a match you would actually want to get along with. So for example, in this case, if let's, I think it'll start off showing, and it'll change based on data. Like for example, if more people like opposites, it's going to switch up on the back end and do that first. But I think it's going to start off with matching people's similarities and let's say that works great for some people, but it doesn't work great for person B. This person B just keeps saying, no, 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 I don't want to date someone the same as me by like just clicking pass on the match. It's gonna it's gonna figure that out that there's a pattern because really all AI, the biggest the benefit of AI is just like pattern reg- pattern recognition at scale. So it'll pick up on the pattern and then I'll try to auto-correct itself by showing person B, like maybe it's someone who's the opposite and see if that has a better results. So it's just gonna it's just gonna keep testing. So it's not gonna just keep if you're saying no to someone who's similar to you, it's not just gonna keep giving the same type of person. So Eric, but how does it weed out or does it weed out the fake bots? Because someone can look very convincing, but I can tell they're fake. Come on now. I mean, you know, but I'm saying like how does an AI figure that out? Yeah, so the way we're working around that, and I know bots are bots are a big problem and they're really annoying on the dating apps where a lot of them are just bots and it's like Jesus Christ. So the way we're working around that is a, it's a manual process, meaning if someone has to report, obviously you have to do that. We're running an algorithm. We're going to create bot prevention. So we're working with some of the security measures on like LinkedIn and some of the major social platforms on how they find their bots. So we'll run that in the background to try to find the bots. But the biggest, honestly, the biggest defense against the bot is just the way your profile is created. So for example, to create a profile, you lick your phone number and then you lick your social media account. So it's a lot of work because bots are good if you can just scale it up and just mass create accounts like that. Oh, very quickly without having to like think about it, right? But like if you have your number and you're connecting like your Facebook, LinkedIn, and Spotify, it's unlikely for a bot to have all three social media platforms going. 
And if you want to connect one and you are a boss, like let's say they work around that, they connect a fake Instagram to like a fake number and they just create a chain reaction that way. Mm -hmm. If you only have one social media account active on the platform, you probably won't get the matches or that you won't have the karma points. Okay, so does your app require uh, more than one social media? You can link as many as you want. You'll get better matches and it'll create a more comprehensive profile for you with the more you connect. So let's just say you match up. You got Facebook, Instagram, uh, TikTok, uh, Twitter X, and LinkedIn. And you said music ones too. So if you have a Spotify, do you guys work with Apple Music also or is it only with Spotify? No, I mean, obviously we want to work with them in the future. It's just these integrations take time. Like for example, working like like TikTok or Instagram, you have to develop the software. You have to talk with our team and they have to get approval for oh, you. So, right. so we're just we're just kind of in the process with all of those. So we will work with, we will work with like, Event, like Apple Music, like Ticketmaster, Eventbrite, so you can get like data on like what events you go to and they could suggest stuff based on that. So the more sources, honestly, the better. They just take some time to get like company approvals and all these companies they have a different process and different response to rate and different like, yeah, some, some take longer than others. This is super intriguing to me, Eric, because I'm thinking about my season of singleness. That's what I'll refer to it as before. We call it BC, before Chris, BK, before Chris. Um, When I was in that time frame of being single and, you know, figuring out what it was that I wanted as a single woman and, you know, taking time to do different activities and things like that. And I made new friends. I'd like go to meetups, I'd make new friends and they'd introduce me to new things. Like we'd go uh, country line dancing. And so like on my Facebook, I'd check in doing country line dancing and, um, you know, be looking on my Instagram feed at like different fun country line dancing places. So I'd be exposed to these new and different experiences, which opened me up to different people. So with your system, is it like point in time data collection or is it ongoing where as the person evolves in their interests, it's gathering that data and matching in a new and a different way? Or is it just like, one snapshot of data and that's how your matches are curated. No, uh, we can, we can do either. We're still deciding which way works best, but right now we're leaning towards ongoing, like maybe like not every day, but like every once in a while, cause people, people do evolve. And like, if you were going like in your example, if you're going like line dancing, maybe you want to match with someone who does line dancing. It's like, Hey, this person all line dancing. You guys can try it together. Oh, we've seen this as your second event. They're also new type of thing. Mm-hmm. So I, I prefer to be ongoing just because I think people are evolving. What they're looking for is evolving too. Like, for example, in, in our season of single else, if you want to call it that, sometimes you may just be looking for a friend and someone to hang out with, and then you may eventually move on to try to look for something more serious. So if we do like a static screenshot, it might not pick that up. So are you? Uh, can you program it to where, say, for example, you're looking for friendships versus for, say, uh, a dating relationship? Yeah, no, 100%. That's where I want to go the long term, just because I think relationships are key in just overall human happiness. So if I wanted to, I can use it to, hey, find me five dudes who are within 20 miles, who are like Muay Thai or who are, and I could just list out the criteria that way. We're just starting off with the dating market because I think it's pretty easy to penetrate. Like the the pitch itself is really easy just to people who are saying, let's say, hey, do I try this app? Or like we can target people who are on Tinder, like, hey, is Tinder working for you? 95% of the people say probably not. Oh, here's a cool TikTok video. If you want to join, feel free type of thing. 
So Eric, I ask you a very serious question. I think it goes back to like a lot of the human psyche. I think you said you, you uh, majored in psychology, was it? Yeah, psychology and business, but yes. Okay, great. So what are your thoughts on us as a society today? I know you're a younger guy, so maybe you've kind of grew up with the online texting era. And what are your thoughts on not having real human connection versus everyone's just texting and online, the online face versus meeting face-to-face when say you're on the dating app, right? And you're texting Susie or whoever it is, and you guys are going back and forth, you're having a great conversation, everything. But when it does come to actually meeting in person, like, oh, I don't know if I could do that because I've never really, you know, I'm not really used to meeting people because I usually just text everybody. Have you found problems with that? And how do you like combat that? Yeah, so what what I want is, and what I want is for people to meet face-to-face just because I don't think there's going to be a spark. Like you can generate a spark or find out if there's a genuine spark just by texting. So our goal is to get people on the date as fast as possible versus just like going back and forth. So we do have options for that. And going back to the Web 1, Web 2, Web 3 example, it's like I view Web 4 as a metaverse. I like to joke that Web 5 is everyone just goes back outdoors and starts interacting again. (laughs) But uh, yeah, so on the dating app, uh, and again, we want our users to be comfortable. So you have the option if you want to FaceTime. So you can you can do that before Meetup. No way. That's, that's a good option, I think. I think uh, if Christina and I did FaceTime, I think it'd be pretty cool, you know, versus yeah. like going, but I think going face-to-face is always, I think meeting in person is probably always better. Oh, 100%. But, but there are some people, it's like, especially like if you're a girl, it's the safety, comfort aspect. You may want to hear the voice before just to make sure they at least sound normal. But we're also True. building out a we're also building out like a VR portion too, just because we understand the online like the younger generation, they are really just used to be online. So like while I would rather have the meet in person, we're gonna build out VR. So like the app, like if you get the Apple VR headset, you'll be able to like just meet up first that way. But again, our goal is always to get them to meet up in person because you can't like start a relationship just well, you can't just start a purely online relationship. We okay. can, but. That sounds so trippy, though, Eric, when I think about it. It was like there was some old movie, I remember, where they were like doing like a VR date kind of thing. And it was like back in the 80s. And it was this like simulation. 80s. It was like a simulated like in the future. This is what the world's going to be like. And I I think about a VR date. Like I know these things will happen in the future. And especially for people that may be like very like far apart from each other. But the old, old woman that I am now, it just, these, it it just feels like, gosh, is technology getting too far ahead of us to where, like, I don't know, it just feels so. Dystopian. Yes, it really does. And it feels almost, I don't even know what the word is. Scary is not the right word, but there's so much, I do have fear when it comes to like, the world of AI. I think there's like so much that AI is doing for us right now, but I get this, like, are we going to lose connecting with people? Are we going to lose the, you know, cute meets that you see in oh, the Hallmark, the Hallmark movie, yeah. Channel movies of, you know, the lumberjack and the big city lawyer who have nothing in common except everything in common that stumble across each other. And so, you know, while I totally think that this app is so interesting, it just, 
I don't know, it can seem a little bit freaky at times. Do you get that from people? Uh, so the way I look at AI technology is I view everything, I view technology as a neutral tool and however people want to use it, that's up to them. So I view dating as a positive way to just incorporate AI into people's lives. And to your point, I do, I, like me personally, I prefer like the just meeting like a grocery store type of thing. That just always works better for me because you can pick up on someone's energy just by physical presence, not really much online. But I would say um, I agree that, well, it's just people are already meeting the majority of people meet online already right now is just a really ineffective way. So I'd be dating as a way of like, if they're already meeting online, at least put them in the chance to like, at least make it better for them if they're already going to do that. Right. That makes a lot of sense. So you mentioned that the app is launching in February or it's launched already? Uh, February 14th. So what we were, our original plan was it's, we were going to, build it out, launch early January, get users, and then raise additional funding because you need users to raise the funding. But then what happened is people liked the idea so much, it just got funded before. So we're building it right. Like you can use it now, but it's only like a close friends and family, work out the kinks. And we could launch next week, but at this point, it's like we just want to launch on Val- Valentine's Day because it's cute. It is. That's very yeah. cute. So yeah. now is this going to be an app dedicated to iOS and Android or how's it going to work? Uh, right when the launch is going to be desktop first, but we're in the process of building up, again, like it's an application process and everyone takes different times, but it'll be for iOS and Android. There's no sense of cutting out one community. Right, right. Of course. I, I've heard the process to get approved by Apple takes a little longer than the Android version. Is that true? Oh, uh, 100%. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Android is relatively easy. Apple is the one that can be, there can be some lag on that one. Well, this is exciting. Like we are on the cutting edge here on the K2 show, you know, before the global debut, when we look back at this a year or two from now and we see you going public and, you know, making your second billion dollars from this you know, new innovation. We'll have to drop, we'll have to drop matches our sponsor. I know. We're going to have to just be like, um, we knew you back when. Yeah. <laughs> oh. It's funny, Match is the one that owns pretty much everything in the industry. So what happens for all dating apps is they're all owned by BlackRock and they're all owned by Match. So if you reach a certain amount of user, and this is also part of the problem too, the churn marketing, once you reach a certain amount of user base, Match will come up and just, Match will just kind of buy your app. So most people on any dating app, they're on just a Match app, whether it be Hinge, League or whatever. It's all under one umbrella, which is why the churn marketing is so effective. So that's, which is why there's not too many, too much like, competition or innovation because it's all match isn't going to disrupt themselves type of thing. Wow. Uh, uh, side note on that match thing, how many of their members do you think are bots percentage-wise? Um, that's a good question because bots have different purposes. I would say when you first join, the majority of users that sh- you're shown are bots because it's a good training tool. But I'd say probably like 25, but I'm just, I'm just guessing. I, I haven't looked into it. A training tool for what? So that they kind of get an idea of what the, what you what, what you, you like? like? Yeah, yeah. Wow. So that's that, that's a general practice for most apps, and I would say, um, obviously, for you have to look at it from two perspectives. Like for the girls on the app, there's no, I don't think that there's no need to create guy bots. Let's be real, guys are on dating app. There's no shortage of guys on the dating apps. But, <laughs> well, so, well, speaking of which, uh, what do you think the percentage is, guys to girls? Uh, probably like ninety to ten. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. So there, there's much more girl bots than guy bots. I think guys are probably. I don't see what's the point of making a guy bot on the dating app. <laughs> Although you know what, I so I did get catfished one time. I don't know if it was a bot, but it was like I was trying to like set up this 
coffee meetup and it, it must've been somebody from, you know, playing games or whatever. And I should have known from the pictures, they just looked a little too staged, but yeah. You Were know. they like a picture of a Polaroid from five feet away? No, or something? no, it was just like this perfect happy family. And it was like a doctor and they said they were a doctor of like neurosurgery or was something. A poster, of, poster of crazy anime. <laughs> No, I wasn't that gullible. Look, it's me. I'm just Thanks, McDreamy. Honey. I appreciate you, McDreamy. Uh, I like that you bring that up, though, just because you mentioned someone could be trying to play games. So are you are either of you guys familiar with Reddit? Yes. Yeah, we I've, have a yes. love-hate relationship with Reddit. Uh, yeah, I, tried, I joined Reddit, but they, I can't, I think they hate me. They keep blocking me, oh keeping me off. I don't know why. So I said, like, screw There's, you guys, Reddit. <laughs> so the same here, but we, you know, their karma system where you get karma points. Yeah, yeah I can't get, so, can't get karma. Well, oh, you can't like, get good karma. <laughs> so, so dating has karma points as well. So it's in a percentage base. So if you behave poor, like let's say in your example, they're playing games or just being like big or whatever, you get karma for doing like desired behavior to keep some incentive for people to like keep that friendly, keep it nice. So if you have higher karma, you're gonna be you're it's gonna be work to that and be matched with other higher karma users. Just Got so it. people don't like waste their time. Like, let's say you're one of those people who join the app, just kind of like solely attention sucking or just doing. Something. It'll pick up all that. You'll get reported. Your karma will drop and you have to either raise it or just you got to get lost. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, so how are you launching this? You mentioned that you're going to launch it around Valentine's Day. Online, you said. Online, but where can people go to sign up? And is there some kind of special incentive if they're in your first group of users yeah so if they want to sign up they'll go to the website dating.io and then you can just sign up that way we're launching it we're it's eventually being global but right now we're just kind of targeting mainly like anyone can sign up but like if you sign up for like moscow or england you're probably gonna be like the only person there so we're, we're targeting our push to generic just pretty much socal specifically la really uh, that yeah. narrow huh well yeah just because i'm just at first, because when people join, we need there to be actual matches and people around where they can actually meet up. So if we have like targeted, like limited budget or whatever, or just not not unlimited, it makes sense to just go city by city. And mm-hmm. we're from we're from LA and we have access to like some studios and stuff. So that's why we're choosing LA. Yeah, well, yeah. it's a pretty good market too. I would say too. There's probably a lot of singles and. I mean, versus a Hoke Town, middle nowhere, you know. Hoke Town. He, <laughs> yeah, Chris Hoke comes Town. up with all of these random phrases. Um, I I call it podunk, like or like living out in the sticks, and he comes up with these I call combinations. Ho, I call it hodunk. It's what yeah. it is. <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> well, we're super excited for you, Eric, and it sounds like a really unique approach to dating and. We can't wait to hear about all of your great successes, but folks, listeners, you've heard it here first. Get on the front lines of this, especially if you're Southern California based and you're in the dating market or thinking of getting into the dating market. You definitely want to go and check this out. And so, Eric, we're going to keep all of the links to everything that you've shared in our show notes from today. But as we are releasing this just before Valentine's Day, any last words on love for our listeners? Yeah, no, um, I'd say love is probably honestly the most important thing ever. So how do you get love? That's what everyone wants. To get love, you have to become love. 
And what I mean by that is I, I think the inner, your, the outer world is a reflection of your inner world. So like, let's say your, your inner world is sad. It's like a radio frequency where you just attract other sad people, same with anger, same with happy, same with joy. So if you are trying to find love and day, it's a beautiful feeling. It's probably the best ever. Just be loving towards people and they'll be loving towards you back. Oh, we love that so much. Well, Eric, thanks so much for being on the show with us today. We can't hear, wait to hear about all of the great things that you're going to do in this world. So then, honestly, uh, Chris and Christine, thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm truly grateful. And if there's anything I can do to support the show or any of your listeners and pretty much anything, just uh, feel free to reach out anytime. Awesome. Thank thanks, you so Eric. much. Of course. Enjoy listening to podcasts and ever wonder, can I make a podcast? But it seems so complicated and good audio production can take time. What if there was a way to create an amazing podcast easily? Well, now there is. Introducing Podcasting Made Easy from Podcasting Audio. My production team will handle your entire audio production, allowing you to be the star of your show. This is Podcasting Made Easy. How easy? Well, so easy, you don't even have to press record. Now that's easy. Your listeners are waiting. Let's deliver. Sign up for a free strategy call today at podcasticaudio.com slash easy. You know, it's also great to have Eric come on the show talking all about the new tech stuff. I'm not a big tech guy, but you know, trying to learn something new every day is always fun. Absolutely. I'm excited to see how this app unfolds and you know, what it's like in the Southern California area and how it catches on. And I think the timing right around Valentine's Day is going to be perfection. You know, I think even back in the olden days is that like the olden days, I mean, like- You mean when you were a child? When I was a kid growing up, no. When online dating like first hit the scene, talking, I think it was Match was the first one on the scene or was it like Matchmaker? Hold on. You're referring to that as the olden days? Well, yeah. What? Well, okay. Was, it, was there anything before that? No. Like online dating? Was there, there anything? There was chat rooms. Yeah, that was like the <laughs> chat. The chat rooms were like a keyboard version of going to a bar, pretty much. Yeah, it's how one of my sisters met her spouse. Yeah, well, I met plenty of ladies that way too, trust me. But anyways. <laughs> Chris uh, has done it all. I have been everywhere in the world. So, um, but the um, thing I was saying about Matchmaker and Match and earlier versions of those kind of things you type in what your parameters were, what you're looking for. I think you've matched it that. And basically it would match would feed you suggestions. And I think, didn't they give us like a ranking, like a star ranking, like four, three, two stars. I thought one of the servers, I've been on so many services. I can't remember which one is which, but one of them had like a ranking and it based it on whether or not you matched up based on the questions they asked you, whether or not you matched up. And it's kind of like an AI, kind of like an algorithm where it kind of figured out matched up based on, things you guys said you like, like you like tennis. I like tennis. Ooh, match it up. You know, mm. um, you're looking for somebody that's, you know, this ethnicity or this, um, religion or this area of town or whatever. And you kind of, I think based on those things, it would kind of put you to get like blend you together just based on those factors. Now with the whole AI stuff, I wonder like, is it going to go deeper than that? More beyond that kind of stuff? Because I mean, it's very simple for somebody can say, they can check boxes that say, yes, I love these five different sports. Oh, you like those five different sports. They're a match. But just mm -hmm. because of that does not mean they're actually really a match. Right. Exactly. And I think that that's what the dating app is going to really help with. And when I say dating, it's that 
D-A-T-A-I-N-G app that Eric was talking about that's going to be launching around Valentine's Day is looking at similarities and compatibilities, but not trying to find the person that's exactly you. And I think that's the hard thing is, you know, finding that balance between we have common interests and we like similar things, but not looking for the same person. But I do, I do wonder how it would work when there's a situation like yours and mine where we literally had no common interests. I thought we did. You were my pro. You were my match. Uh, I know, thing, but, but why? I think you were a female. <laughs> and I had a picture of a car on my profile, but that's, that's about what it. Was, it. Yes. That's what you know clued you into me. I did love my car, but also too, I think too, is that like when you. You know, say you match with somebody on Match or Bumble, whatever the hell it is you're using, and you see, okay, they pick the different things. They all pick something, things that are somewhat similar to what you picked, and you're kind of in that realm of they could be a match, you know. But really what it comes down to is having a physical conversation with a person, not a text conversation. I mean, that helps kind of get the ball rolling. But if you have an actual, like, face-to-face, which is always scary for everybody. Nobody wants to meet face-to-face, especially in this day and age. Gas prices are forever. You know, it takes forever to get us somewhere, you know. And, and then, like, you know, of course, you know, it's scary for a woman, you know, because you could be in a situation that would not be very good for you. So I understand why that maybe doing the FaceTime thing as a fa- first-time date or even with a Zoom call, a fa- first-time date. I could totally see that doing that now. I mean, that was an option. You would love that because you don't have to pay any money to go on a date with anybody. Hey, hey I can pay for Zoom or whatever you get charged for that. Or FaceTime can pay for that too. No, if, you, if you go 40 minutes on the free plan, you don't. Well, check that out. Hey, all dates are 40 minutes or less, guaranteed. Yep. Okay, <laughs> so you are the king of cheap dates. You used to say like, oh, well, I'm going to go do a, a coffee date, but I'm going to show up before the girl and order my own coffee and sit there and wait for her so that when she shows up, she has to buy her own. You say, hey, are you, are you getting anything while you're here? Are you getting, are you yourself coffee? Hey, hey, Susie at the counter, she'll hook you up. Go tell her what you want. Yeah, go right ahead. Yeah, yeah, her right there. Yeah, go ahead. I'll, I'll, be, I'll, I'll save the seat. I'll save this table right here for you so nobody else takes it. But Chris, nobody else is here in the coffee shop. Yeah, but this one, it's our table. You know what I'm saying, baby? Get yourself a coffee. Are, are you enjoying yourself? That's exactly what you said. That was your whole like monologue. But ladies, this is what he does is he goes on these bits and he thinks he's funny. But guess what? You're not funny. You're lucky. You're lucky that I tolerate it. You really are. Because oh, if you would have pulled that on our first date, I would have hey, walked who bought, out. Who, bought, who drinks on a first date? Oh, but you hesitated and then you studied the receipt deeply. Of course I did. And I was like, is he waiting for me to pull out my wallet? Because I'm not. No, I did. I, I would not. Listen, listen. If it's a first date. You, You're you buying. Got, you guys have to. I mean, as long as it's not something crazy like, you know, I don't know, a cruise or something like that. I don't or know Ruth's Chris. Well, even that, like, you know, I was at a, I was on a date once. And uh, I was at Benihana's and there was another couple right across the way on the same table, you know, and we, we saw them, we, we saw what they ordered, everybody orders got the same stuff and we're getting the bill. And I saw the bill was like, you know, close to 200 bucks, penny 150 or something like that. And I was like, oh my gosh, you know, just for me and my date. And I was like, oh my gosh, well, I pay for it, of course. Um, but then I you saw, did? of course I did. Come what? On. Did I pay that day? Nope. Maybe I didn't you pay. never pay for dates. <laughs> Maybe I didn't pay that day. I thought I did. But anyways. She paid. A- anyways. Anyway. So I look across the table. I see her and the guy looking at the bill and I see them like totally pull out two, two cards or yeah, it was two cards. And they split, they totally split the bill. They did it Dutch style. Like, 
Man, lucky guy right there. So- <laughs> if you can see the look on my face right now. You know, I do watch Instagram and I see these husbands doing like boo baskets or burr baskets for their girl or, oh, you know, it's only two week countdown to Valentine's Day. What are you, you know, look at my 15 day countdown of love for my spouse, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I'll never get that. Yes, you do. No, I you, don't. You just, you just get it in different ways. That's yeah. all. Oh, oh, because I get burned every 15 days. No. 15 day countdown. It's like, how many, how many put downs can I say? I, to I don't you? put you down. I lift you up. <laughs> and then you pull the chair out from under me so I crash to the ground. No, not at all. <laughs> well, I am glad that you're giving everybody some laughs. But oh, speaking of laughs, while I was up in Central California, I have to tell you this. I did get to go to one of Ezekiel's stand-up comedy shows. In person. Huh? In person. Yes. He was um, at a comedy place. It's on a Wednesday night up in Clovis, California. And <laughs> he was, okay, so it's 18 and over comedy. So when I go in there, I go in with, I am a supportive parent that is refraining from judgment while I allow my son to figure out his voice in the comedy space. And that's the thing is he can't get in trouble with me for what he says while he's on stage. Is it like a little pack you guys made before he went in there? No, it's just like my agreement to him is he is learning how to write out comedy and he can't really develop as a comedian if he's afraid of judgment while he's up there. Like he has to be able to like figure out his comedic voice. And so he had definitely prepared, but then he's been trying to do crowd work where he's like trying to like interact with different couples. And okay. For first of all, he got promoted to what's referred to as mini mic. So in the mini mic. Yes. Yeah, so in these comedy Magic shows, Mike. Not Magic Mike. In these comedy shows, there's always a headliner. And then at the end of the show, they typically reserve three minutes for each person to do open mic. At the beginning of the show, if the promoter likes you, they'll give you three to four minutes on the front end of the show, like the openers. Is that like the prime real estate, the front end? Yeah. It's referred to as mini mic. And Zeke oh. begged the promoter and he let him do the mini mic. And so I was listening and, you know, Zeke was really working on his routine and he was working on some crowd work and he said some stuff. Was it racist? It was. I wouldn't categorize it as racist because. Was it sexist? No, let me finish. I wouldn't categorize it as racist because he is Mexican and the comments that he were make was making ah. are about individuals of that background but he made it to a couple that do identify as that. And they didn't think it was funny? And they walked out at the end of his three minutes. Well, they said, they waited to the end and walk out in front of him. Right. He was really down on himself. And I had to like coach him up and say, which, you know what? You're going to have people walk out. That's the world of comedy. That's actually wow, a sign. Wow, somebody you, walk out on you. Man. After, no, after. But I said, that's a sign that you got under their skin a little bit. And maybe, maybe you... Stepped a little bit over the line, but overall he did so well. 
And um, the promoter there just, he said, I love your son. He's so funny. And um, he's found this community of comics that, you know, some of them actually do this professionally and some of them are still trying to like break through and make it big. But um, it was so fun to sit there and watch him and then talk with him. And then for his birthday, he loves this uh, comedian, Cat Williams. And he told me he really wanted a fur coat like Cat Williams. And so for his birthday, we gifted him this like faux fox fur coat that goes like almost down to his knees. And it was so funny because when I got it and I opened it up before I put it in the bag, I was showing it to my parents and my dad. He looks at it and he goes, I can't even say it. He goes, that's a pimp coat. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I started laughing. And then so. Was it purple? Oh, no, no, like it, was, the- it was white with like little gray flecks. But then it was so funny is at his birthday party on Friday night, he opens it up. And he pulls it out. And then my sister, Laura, she goes, who got that for him? And I said, <laughs> well, she didn't know, huh? No. And I said, it was from me. And then my cousin, Christopher, he looks at it and he goes, that's a pimp coat. A <laughs> Just pimp like coat. That. A pimp coat. And so Zeke like puts it on and he starts like strutting. And he was like living life large thinking he would not take it off all night. He thought it was the best thing ever. Well, that's great if you loved it. Why he not? He you know? was obsessed with it. And then we got him this pillow that says, um, be careful or you might find yourself uh, being part of my stand-up or something like that. Oh, nice, nice, yeah, but nice. anyways, it was really fun having time with Ezekiel and oh, seeing great. him like, enjoy his 19th birthday. Well, that, is, that is a great birthday. It sounds like a wonderful time it for really him and, and for you. It took me a long time to get home, but I really did enjoy my time up there with my family. Definitely working hard, but glad to be back here. Glad to have such a great episode this week. And who knows if you stay tuned for the next episode, you may just hear us go deep, get vulnerable and share a little bit of our story. Get your Kleenex ready. Yep. You never know. You never know what's going to happen on the Chris and Christine <laughs> show. So uh, where can people find out more about us, Chris? Yeah, you can go to their website, which is chrisandchristineshow.com. And you can find out more about us as a couple, our family, you can also learn about Chris's podcast production services with Podtastic Audio. Find out more about my business, Christine Smith Designs. And you can always like and subscribe to our podcast and share it if you've loved this episode and you found it interesting. Right, Chris? Absolutely. And we just want to say thank you to everybody for being such loyal listeners. And we'll be back with you next, next week. week.